Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if you've tuned into WXPN's 90s A to Z yet, but yo! That's my joy! That's my joy! What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Prine, a.k.a. Into the Nate Wide Open, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. Podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. I have such a fun episode for you guys today. Joining me for a chat is Kristen Curtis from 88.5 WXPN. We chat about the station, her career in radio, and so much more, including a history in stand-up and improv? Who knew? Oh yeah! That is coming up in a bit. But first, I hope you all had a festive Thanksgiving. You know, we took an extra week off, as you may be aware, to kick some of that tryptophan-induced sluggishness off. But here we are back and ready to rock. My turkey-durkey day was great. Thank you for asking. You did ask, right? Uh, Remember, I, I can't hear you. Or can I? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I kid. Of course I kid. But it was a good break. Uh, But I do have one thing I want to share with you. A little bit of embarrassment that happened to me. Um, Katie and I went to see the great Melissa Villasenor, formerly of SNL, do some stand-up at City Winery. And she was absolutely hilarious. She's on tour right now promoting her incredible new book, Whoops, I'm Awesome, which is available now and would make a great Christmas present for you and your peeps. If you're looking for an excellent stocking stuffer or white elephant gift. Anyway, after her show, she was signing books, and we got to meet her. And like I do, I asked if she would have any interest in coming on the podcast. And she was super kind and generous about it. But look, I can smell a no when I see it, which I totally understand, okay? Well, Fast forward a day and I'm listening to her most recent episode of her hilarious podcast, Laughing With Myself, and she did a bit about how her therapist is helping her learn to say no to things. And she was like, do I want to be on your podcast? No! (laughs) And I will now replay me asking her to come on the podcast full of anxiety for the rest of my life. So, Melissa, if you're listening, and I know you're not... I apologize. But someone who did agree to come on the podcast and chat, as I said earlier, is Kristen Curtis. You know, my love for WXPN is absolutely no secret. I've mentioned it on here countless times. And as I alluded to at the start of this episode, they are currently doing a 90s A to Z, which has been absolutely delightful. It's one of the many incredible things this station does, and if I can be a bit of a homer for a minute, it's just another reason why it's important to support your local non-commercial radio stations. Places like WXPN do so much to support and break independent music, and it would be a dark hellscape if stations like 88.5 didn't exist as a place to discover music that more than likely would get overlooked in today's media environment. So appreciate and support your local radio stations. Listen, donate, enjoy, volunteer if you can. Keep indie radio alive. 
Okay, we're going to take a short ad break, but then when we come back, my interview with Kristen Curtis. My guest today has graced the airwaves of WERS and WBOS in Boston, KZZU and KZZE in Spokane, and KGSR in Austin, all before her triumphant return home to the City of Brotherly Love in 2015, where she joined the team at 88.5 WXPN. She is currently the host of the XPN Morning Show on weekdays, Monday through Friday from 6 to 10. Guys, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Kristen Curtis. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the patron saint of the XP Zennial Caucus, the great Kristen Curtis. Kristen, thank you for joining me today on Yo, That's My John. Oh my gosh, Nate. Thank you so much for the very warm and welcome introduction. I appreciate it. And I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So one of the things I love to do is I love to tell guests kind of how I got to know them. And uh, uh, with you, um, so I kind of fell out of love with music for a period of time. Not out of love, but it just kind of backburnered. But I always listened to XPN uh, when I drove. All right. And, um, you know, in the morning, I'm half asleep, so I wouldn't be really paying attention. But in the afternoon, I'd probably pay a little more attention. But all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. Uh, This sensibility of this morning DJ matches mine so much that, like, I became a fan. And then, like, the way you interact on the socials and stuff like that is absolutely phenomenal but what it was was um the web stream of the um right before the last or or the i think the 2020 was that the albums one uh the 2020 was the songs i think we did albums in 2021 yeah okay so last year um uh but yes during the live stream i was just like okay this is the coolest person uh at the station and everybody else can kick rocks no uh but <laughs> but so that's how I became a fan of you and I started listening to the morning show religiously and now it's like uh, uh my my steady diet. So thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. It really means a lot, especially when you come into a heritage station where your predecessor was there for like over 25 years and you know you've got really big shoes to fill and people have very strong opinions and loyal relationships to the station. So it um it really touches me deep in my soul to know that uh, that you have a positive opinion and that you're loving what I'm doing. So thank you. Absolutely. So tell these folks a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Downingtown, Pennsylvania on Philly radio. Um, and I... I had been obsessed with Y100 for a couple of years. Um, and I'm kind of like your quintessential like kid radio listener. I was like, oh, everyone on the radio is my friend. And like, right, like they're talking directly to me. And um, I formed a very strong relationship with radio when I was pretty young. And I remember one night, also kind of a sad kid, was like just laying in bed trying to go to sleep depressed. And um, they were doing the cage match when they had like one song battle another song and people would call in and vote. And the challenger that night was Shimmer by Fuel. And I don't even really know what it was about that song because I was 13 or 12. Like I had not been in a relationship yet. And that song is definitely about being contacted by an ex lover and like knowing that it won't go well. But there was something in the way that Brett was singing the song that I was like, Oh my God, this guy has felt pain. And he 
took that pain and channeled it into this beautiful song and he worked his butt off and this band is now getting played on the radio and has a record deal and I just felt some kind of like hope. Um, I was like, oh, if I can like stick through, <laughs> like I really was not having a good time at, at school. And I was like, if I can stick through this, I'm going to be okay. And um, shortly after that, Y100 announced they were doing a Sonic session, one of those private concerts in the recording studio in downtown Philly with Fuel. You had to be caller 13. Every time I tried to call, I was too excited. I came in number one. So I eventually emailed Leanne Curtis and I was like, hey, you know how much I love this band. Can I please get some passes? And she asked for my number and called my mom, answered all of my mom's questions and gave me passes. And it was my first ever concert was a Fuel Y100 Sonic session. And normally those are like three to five songs. This band did the whole damn album plus a couple bonus tracks. And the whole time I was there, I was like, oh, my God, I want to do this. Like, I want to be on the radio. I want to help bands that deserve the airtime get it. And I also want to help people who need that music in their lives to be able to find it. So I was, yeah, precious, precious age of 13 in 1998 when I decided I wanted to work in radio. And I contacted, like, everybody at Y100 and eventually found my way to Emerson College in Boston, where I immediately got involved in the college station. My musical knowledge was like exploded there. Um, and after a few years, I ended up getting my first part-time like real job on a commercial radio station in Boston. So um, from there, I went to Spokane, Washington. After I graduated, I was hired to work on like a top 40 hot AC station. And after I was really glad it was like months after I started Lady Gaga debuted. So I've been on that train since like day one. I adore her. Uh, that was the best thing about working at that station. And also that after a couple of years, we got a new general manager who found out that um, the music that we refer to as AAA adult album alternative was actually more my personal jam. And we had one of those in our cluster. He ended up making a music director. So I started going to conventions, which is where I met Bruce Warren and where I met uh, Chris Edge, who ended up hiring me in uh, Austin, Texas. I was at KGSR for four years. And that was a wild time because we partnered with South by Southwest and ACL and we would do live broadcasts. And so like as soon as one ended, you'd start getting the artist list for the next one and you'd start booking your morning broadcasts. And I would be doing like anywhere between 15 and 30 interviews in the span of a week. And that was a lot of fun. That was where I met Tori Amos for the first time is one of my favorites. Um, and it was definitely at a South by Southwest party that I like just got in Bruce Warren's face. And I was like, yo, I'm Kristen. I'm from Philly. If you ever have a job, I want it. And unbeknownst to me, he then just waited until he had an opening and uh, reached out to me in 2015. And I've been home for seven years now. It feels amazing. i pinch myself every day. I don't know how I managed to make it back to my home market. Most DJs don't. And especially on a station where there's so much legendary history and I have so much creative freedom. So that's, uh, that's my story. That's incredible. Like, like you said, like to not just kind of see what you want to do, but then also kind of call the shot of where you end up is absolutely like incredible. Like that's, that's, you never hear about it. Like m making your dream is one thing, but then making your dream and then specifically saying, ah, I'm going to paint in this line over here though. <laughs> that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, ve I'm very, very lucky and grateful and I, I never forget it. <laughs> That's so incredible. Um, was music big in your household when you were growing up or was it something you, you found yourself? 
Yeah, I I know that my first favorite song was Sarah Smile by Hall and Oates. I remember being like really little and loving that one, knowing all the words to it. My mom was more of a B101 kind of person, so she was very into the soft rock. And there were like five albums that she had on repeat in our house. And they were um, Elton John's Live in Melbourne, I want to say, that Live in Australia CD. Um, actually, I take that back. There were multiple Michael Jackson albums that were on repeat in the house. It was mostly like it was... So oddly enough, bad and dangerous. I got into like thriller and off the wall on my own much later. Um, uh, Mariah Carey, her Christmas album, uh, Madonna's Immaculate Collection, and uh, some Billy Joel albums as well. So those were like the foundational artists in my house. And my mom had a much different taste in music than my dad. She hated his taste in music. So his favorite album was the white album by the Beatles and she just thought it was so weird that I I really didn't hear a lot of the Beatles growing up in my house um and I my dad passed away the day after I turned 23 but I really wish that he was still around because he was an MGK guy and I I didn't know about XPN until I got to Emerson College in Boston and I was like why don't we have a station like this in Philly oh we do how did I not know <laughs> yeah um right I feel like if my dad had known about XPN it's all he would have listened to. Like the the rest of his taste in music, we would call like, oh, dad's weird jazz. Like he liked Weather Report and like Return to Forever and The Music Man and just like things that I've, I never would have heard of until I got to XBN if it wasn't for my father. So um, I always hold a little space in my heart for him when I'm playing Jocko. I'm like, oh, my dad would have loved this. Oh, that's so touching. That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, the uh, it, it's it's it is a station that like uh, I feel like takes people uh, to discover at a certain age. Like like because yeah, when when I was a teenager, I I, I didn't know it existed. You know, like I think uh, uh, I, it was a station I passed when I tried to get like Channel Six on uh, <laughs> all the way down there or whatnot, trying to find the TV yeah. station to listen to. You remember? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, but, going to bed and then sneaking. I was like, well, I have to go to bed early. I'm gonna just listen to the boy meets world to on six abc on the radio then yeah <laughs> exactly exactly yeah see you get it um but there there is one thing very curious that i that i, I noticed here so sarah smile and uh fuel shimmer both pa guys so like uh the, they're you know that's uh it must be in the water i think it wasn't even intentional right like it was years later that i found out hollow notes were a philly group and that um I mean, I found out pretty quick that Fuel was based in Harrisburg. But yeah, there must just be something special about Pennsylvania, the Atlantic Tri-State, anywhere, the Delaware Valley. There's definitely something in the in the water, as they say. There it is. There it is. <laughs> um, did you, so uh, this this love of music. Did you did you play music uh, when you were a kid at all, or? Yeah, I always sang. That's my primary instrument. Um, but the first instrument I ever learned to play was clarinet. I did that for a few years. And then around 12 or 13, when I, around the time that I discovered my taste in music is when I started playing guitar. Um, so I took some lessons there. Um, but singing was always it. In high school, I did the musicals. I was in three different choirs at once. One of them was called Chester County Voices Abroad. And we would actually record an album and then we would go overseas and we would give concerts and sell our CD. It was 
the a life-changing experience for me, really. I'm very glad that I got to do that before I graduated from high school. The first trip was to Scotland and Ireland, and the second trip was to Austria, Switzerland, and Germany. Um, and those were some of my favorite memories. And then when I decided I wanted to work in radio, like everybody was shocked when I told them that that's what I was going to go study in college. Like people thought that I was going to move to New York and try to pursue a career on Broadway. That's how (laughs) into singing I was. Um, My parents were not excited about the idea of me going into some kind of performing arts career. And they weren't actually even really excited about radio, but it felt like a compromise. So I went and um, my dad was pleasantly surprised when I was like 20 and got my first actual paid job. He was like, oh, this is going to work out. Um, but I definitely turned my focus to radio for for like 20 years. And I just started taking singing lessons again this summer. And it feels amazing to be like actually focusing on that again. And to um, like my relationship with music had become very work oriented. And it's really nice to be able to take like a little bit of personal and, and reclaim that relationship with music again. Definitely. You know, uh, just last night, I went to an open mic night and played um, some original songs. And it was like the first time I've done it in like six years because like I, I play out, but it's all covers and stuff like that. So like to be able like kind of like scratch that itch that hasn't been scratched in so long just feels so good. Um, did, did you pick it right back up or were you a little rusty? I picked it right back up. I guess I had developed a lot of, and congratulations, by the way, that's such a big deal when you can like build up that courage and that momentum to go and be like, I'm, I've got the strength right now. I'm going to perform these original songs that takes some cojones. So congratulations. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I guess I had developed a lot of anxiety over the years about, I don't know, I dated this guy in college who when I would try to sing something that was more rock oriented, he'd be like, you sound like you're supposed to be on Broadway. And it was like just the right kind of feedback that made me feel like I didn't sound good singing what I actually wanted to sing. And then I started to get really nervous about singing in front of people. And it took a lot for me to find this guy. His name is um, John Peters. He's uh, an opera singer and he'll train you with whatever style of music you want to sing, but he will um, give you an evaluation at first. And when he was evaluating me, he was, He was like, who told you that you're pitchy? And like, why? I can't believe your parents didn't want you to pursue this. Like, he's really, he gets giddy working with me. Now I feel like I'm starting to get pompous. But like, once I had someone who was like, obviously a trained professional, be like, no, you're actually very, very good. That rust just sloughed off. I mean, I... I don't know how much music theory we want to get into here, but I'm hitting like an E flat in my chest. Like I don't even really have to go into falsetto for it. Like I've got <laughs> like the idea in a Menzel range. Um, I'm still, I think the thing is I'm working on is he's breaking bad habits with me. I was definitely had like too much tension in my jaw and in my throat. And what he's doing is helping me with like, like we didn't even actually sing songs for months. Like we just started doing that. It's, it was a lot of, odd vocal exercises I've never had any other coach give to me in order to break those bad habits and really learn to make the connection with your diaphragm and your thoracic muscles and all these other things that he says that I'm like, whatever you say. (laughs) Um, But it feels really good. Like when you have the proper singing technique, it's like helping you unlock the full potential of your voice. And I am super jazzed to just keep practicing and, and break the bad habits and, and, I want to get out and perform again, too. So we'll have to talk about that when that day comes. Yes, definitely. Uh, so now, this raises an interesting question. Has that uh, ch- changed or helped um, or affected at all your radio voice, um, the the different techniques? 
Yeah, yeah. There's something called Bogart and Bacall syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? No. Um, there was a time in Austin where I was going through a rough period, and I guess that I was like reflecting that in the way that I spoke. And if you press your voice into a lower register than it actually is for a long enough period of time, which is what Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall did, you develop like this fatigue of your vocal cords. So I went through that in the past and I went to somebody who helped me figure out exercises just for speaking um, to find my true tone. So now that I've been through that, it's not gotten quite that bad again, but it is really helpful to be like, oh, sometimes it feels like it takes more effort than it should to speak. And yeah, having proper singing techniques and knowing where to hold your breath and like how to release the tension here absolutely helps with speaking. That's really crazy. See, now, I, now I feel like I should do this because every once in a while uh, when I'm doing uh, like the intros and outros, like I'll go upstairs and I'm just like, don't talk. I can't talk for like an hour. Like, please leave, leave me alone. <laughs> like, um, and I know it's just because I've never properly trained my voice, be it singing or speaking. And um, but that's really interesting. I, I should probably look up some of these exercises and maybe try to uh, not be an idiot. <laughs> No, you're not, first of all. And I should say that, you know, rest is an important part of vocal training. Like, I'm only allowed to sing every 48 hours because you really work your... He looks at it like strength training, like your voice is like any other muscle in your body. So if you're going to the gym and you're lifting weights and you're putting those little tears in your muscles, you got to let them heal before you go back to, like, try to build up more muscle. And it's the same thing with your voice. So it could be that there's nothing improper about it that you're doing. It's just that you're talking for longer periods of time than you're used to and you're giving your voice a workout and then you're right to, to want to rest it for a little while afterward. Yeah. I'm going to, if you could just put that on a doctor's note and I could uh, give it to my fiance, um, that would probably be good. <laughs> Absolutely. Just kidding. Absolutely. Just kidding. She, she, <laughs> She's awesome. Uh, I'm going to have to edit that out. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm letting it ride, letting it ride. Um, so uh, coming back to WXPN, you know, you kind of mentioned uh, uh, taking over for Michaela Majune, like, um, but I feel like you came in like a wave, like didn't you guys kind of had a class that kind of came through within a few years, didn't you, of a lot of people, kind of a lot of change at the station. Um, did that help kind of get situated because you had other people kind of coming in around the same time? Um, yes and no. It's not the first time that I've been brought into a station that has... And I hope that people understand this and don't get like upset by it. But there's a term in radio called aging with your audience. Like you should program a station so that you're like, this is what we do. And this is us. And you should let your audience move through you. But sometimes stations will end up like chasing their audience and then alienating anybody younger. Um, which is, you know, it happens, especially with heritage stations. And it's like, you don't realize it. It's like the frog in the boiling pot where you like, don't feel the water getting warmer. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, oh, this is happening. Um, and I had been brought into Austin in that same situation. So I was kind of familiar with being the new kid in a space that had a lot of history. Um, but yeah, I was the first person they hired for full-time work in the programming department at XPN in like a decade. Mm -hmm. Um, and then... Yeah. And then it was another, maybe it was just the next year they brought Talia in. And the year after that, it was Kaleo. And then Raina came in a couple years after that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting to be part of like a new chapter, you know, yeah. and to kind of be like the first, the first word in that first new chapter. It was, um, an exciting time. 
That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and and like um, kind of you know what you're you're leading to. Like the station has also changed, not just the personnel. And and you know, I think um, like I personally feel like for the better. Like I and and because I don't feel like um, it's alienating the the elder class at all. I feel like it's um, you know uh, very open to them, while also like kind of giving them like, hey, here's some other stuff you might like. Uh, like it, it never feels like it's going too extreme out of out of the kind of comfort zone but i you know i see i see the comments i know from from all sides you know um that nobody you know nobody's ever satisfied it's the it's the prince line you know maybe i'm like my mother you know but uh of course like you were never going to be able to please everybody all the time or any individual person is not going to get everything that they want right i mean it's a community-based station and i think that's that's beautiful that most people who hang out with XPN know that they're not going to love 100% of what they hear, but that's kind of the point of it. And I think that sometimes like the reason that it needed like a kick in the evolutionary pants, if, if that's the way we can phrase it, is that sometimes you're like, oh, this is what our audience wants. And then you forget that they're, they're really adventurous too. Like there's stuff that we don't play and will never play that I know folks love but it's really comforting to hear you say that you don't feel like we've lost all of what the station once was because that's never something i wanted you know like that's part of like preserving the history is part of public media and it's really important to me that we're playing things that go back to like i'd like to cover all of contemporary music basically when it started being recorded right so i enjoy throwing in Billie Holiday and things that were recorded in the 30s and 40s and making sure you've you're including the birth of rock and roll with your Chuck Berries and and all of those like heavy hitters that got the genre going but I don't want to ever lose the stuff from the 60s and the 70s you know I want to be able to draw a line through time um I want to be able to play like Michael Kiwanuka and be like here let me play a string of musicians one from every decade each who inspired each other and show you how this is all connected. Um, and it's very, I think it's very easy when you're used to like a big portion of the pie, like 60% of it being things from a certain decade. And then when that pie slice gets a little smaller to make room for other things, I think sometimes people get worried that you're trying to get rid of it, but that has never, ever, ever been the goal. It's, um, you know, sometimes people will be like, I don't hear enough Rolling Stones. And you're like, well, it's very hard to cover like 70 years worth of music. And if I play like more of this band that you already know and love, that means that that's slightly less time for us to help build an another artist's familiarity with the audience. So it is a very big challenge to try to encompass all of that time and as many different movements and genres and moments in music as possible. Um, so it, it makes me feel really great to know that you feel like we're accomplishing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and um, I'm being selfish here because it's what I like. So that's all that matters. But, um, but I think one of the things that I've always loved about XPN is music discovery. And I think that that is like the strength of the station is, you know, there are, there are bands that that you know you may hear five ten years sometimes even earlier than when they break kind of into a mainstream setting 
on this station. And that kind of thing, you know, gives you that kind of invested uh, interest in a band, almost like you're in on the, you got stock on the ground floor, you know, it's like you bought Apple in 86, you know, or 84 or whatnot. I, I'm going to mess that analogy up every single time I try to make it. But anyway, you get the point. But, uh, but, and I well, think I'm that's what the station. that analogy. I'm yeah. going to steal that analogy for an extended drive. I really like that. Like, basically, you're you're investing. You're getting cool credit. <laughs> it's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, I think about, like, um, you know, one of my favorite things, um, and uh, it's come up a lot on this uh, uh, podcast because of how much of a fan of the station I am, is that my girlfriend or fiancé and I um, are um, uh, just insane about the Exponential Music Festival. It's, like, kind of what our first date was, and, and then you guys moved it, so then our anniversary got ruined and then so then i proposed to her right before this one so now we have another anniversary back so we're all okay you me and xpn we're fine on that but um but i love one of my favorite things i love is watching a band on the marina stage and then like two years later seeing them on the river stage or maybe even at bbnt like it's just phenomenal to watch that growth is there anybody you can think of that you've watched that trajectory over time um, I've watched the record company be a band that nobody knew um, to a band that people were screaming, you know, uh, when they were playing on the river stage and will follow them everywhere now. You know, um, Nicole Atkins is another one who I remember back when Neptune City came out, seeing her on, on, on the stage over there. And, and like, again, you know, now is like just such an enormous part of what people who listen to XPN want to listen to, you know? So like, uh, and of course Dawes and like, there's just so many to name, you know? Um, but, but that's what I love about this station is the ability to, like I said, get on the ground floor and find your new favorite band before they're your new favorite band. Exactly. It's very fun to, to be part of that. You know, you listen to so many music submissions and for my part, like, <laughs> this sounds absurd to people who don't have to listen to as much music as folks in the music industry do, but I can tell sometimes even within the first like five or 10 seconds, if something is worth me continuing to listen to it and on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And this happens so rarely sometimes within the first five or 10 seconds, I can tell that I have stumbled across something truly incredible. Um, and that happened to me with Smoke Signals. The first time I heard that song from Phoebe Bridgers, I was like, oh, there is an arrival happening right now. And I I just immediately started fighting to add her to our, our rotation after I heard her for the first time. And same with Barty Strange. And actually, I've got to give it up to John Batiste, who had been like in Bartiz's corner since he was like Bartiz and the Strange Fruit, like before he shortened his name. And um, yeah, it's really... That's the good stuff is having a team of people who trust your taste in music and your gut feeling and being like, we need to play Yola right now. She's going to be massive someday and we need to stick our stake our claim in, in this as an XPN artist right now. And I know that before I got there, they did that with Adele is probably one of the biggest ones um, playing free at noon a couple times, especially during that 19 album, which frankly is still my favorite and her discography. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the best part is hearing something and and then being right. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, I will say though, I should have, I should have, I should have asked you to use a trigger warning before saying Barty Strange because he told me he was going to come on the show, and then I reached out to his press people and they shot it down. So uh, 
Oh, no. So, so I'm still a little sore, but it's okay. It's, I, I understand. He's a busy oh, guy, yeah. and, and, yeah. and he's, 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 got, he's got some things on his plate, so uh, I'll allow it. It took a long time for us to pull together the Friday morning mixtape. Like I had asked months in advance, but then it ended up working out because the, the timing of it meant that he was on the Friday of the festival this year. So I was like, all right, this ended up working out for the best. So I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not giving up. I mean, uh, we had. Um, I don't. I don't know if you have heard um, uh, uh, Caroline Weinroth, um, who. Oh man, now I'm now I just totally blanked on what her um, performance name is. Anyway, he produced her EP, um, Your Ideal, and um, she was on, and we we were just kind of talking about, it. and like when I when I talked to Bartiz at the uh, at the festival, he was talking about how much he loves her and wants to like do her full album and stuff like that, and I was like, this is our connection, we have a connection, can we not? But yeah, you know, hey, it's all right, that's all is right. That Harmony Woods? Is that who we're thinking about? Harmony no, Woods? Um, I would have never forgotten Cinema Hearts is the name of the uh, the project, but um. <laughs> that no. was, Cinema Hearts. Um, but anyway, so um, w- right now, um, is there anybody that you've kind of heard um, that hasn't kind of made it uh, into the playlist yet that you're kind of really excited about uh, musically? Now I'm going to pull up my Apple Music account while I'm talking to you because the answer is always yes. Um, it's just a matter of finding my KK's current jams oh. list. And uh, yeah, all the time, all the time. Can we Let's just uh, can 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 I just put a suggestion in? Maybe you change that to current Johns. I don't know. Uh, just uh, current John. I like it. I dig it. I think okay. Um, Etha Nessa Francis. There is a song called "Way to Say Goodbye" that I'm real obsessed with right now. It's um, I think the album is not out yet. It's on a record called Protector. I'm waiting for the release date to pop up. Oh, it came out October 28th. I'm gonna have to sit with that because that song is amazing, and. Um, this guy, Jay Wood, all one word. He's really great. And there's a guy out of Minneapolis called Milo. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Those are my answers right now. All right. I like it. I like it. I like a little, little, little heads up. Um, so uh, one of the things uh, in, in my deep research, which I do very deep research on, on my guests to get to know them, um, that I saw was um, that uh, stand up and improv. Uh, you kind of just mentioned improv a little bit there. Um, is it is is this something you still do? No, not right now. And a lot of that has to do with my schedule. And it also has to do with the fact that Philly's so close to New York. So I'll tell you how I got into it. Um, have you ever heard of The Artist's Way? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, and just in case anybody listening is not familiar, it's, uh, it's basically like a 12 week program to removing any creative blocks that you have. And it's written by Julia Cameron, who is a playwright and was at one time married to Martin Scorsese. Uh, a bunch of my friends and I bought this book when we were graduating high school and we were going to do it together as a way to stay in touch with each other. It's very difficult. Like it just makes you face things. It's just. It's hard in a strange way. I tried to do it several times. And the first time I got all the way through, I was in Austin. And I've kept doing it with the hope that it would make me want to write music. But one of the experiences or one of the uh, exercises, I should say, is to write down 10 to 20 things you enjoyed doing and the last time that you did them. 
And I was like, oh, I really used to love playing make-believe as a kid. And then I realized I was like, oh, like improv is like make-believe for adults. And I just so happened. There's also a concept in the book called synchronicity. When you put things out in the universe, you have to have your little radar dish up and be paying attention for it to be answering you. And I totally got like a continuing education pamphlet for adults from like Austin Community College in the mail. And there was improv classes. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this and have fun. And um it ended up actually really helping me with interviews. Um, as I got deeper into improv, I did eventually I joined a troupe called Bad Font and we did a format called The Herald, which is basically a sitcom. Like if you watch any 30 minute sitcom, there's the opening scene where like all the characters are together and you're setting up the plot. And then there are three different plot lines generally throughout the episode. And there are a couple points where the characters and plot lines will cross over with each other. So you get your suggestion from the audience when you're doing the Herald and there is your, your scene 1A, 1B, 1C, and then a group and then scene 2A, 2B, 2C. And obviously 2A should be building off of two, uh, like a 1A. And the idea is that you get your idea for like your funny scene. But if you're not the first person to walk out on stage, you have to put that idea in your pocket and not forget it and really pay attention to what is going on in the scenes that you're not in, because it might be up to you to start the second beat of that scene. You have to be like, what's funny about this? Is it that character? Is it their relationship? Is it this setting? Or is it simply the action? Like what's going on right here? And, and what are all the scene partners names? Because then when you go out, you have to be like, yo, Joseph, how about this Wendy's? Like very clearly to communicate. And it was really helpful to work with a team of people and do these exercises that practice sharing ideas in very concise and clear ways. And also to be able to listen to someone while holding on to another idea so you can have more of a conversational interview as opposed to being like, well, thanks for your answer. Uh, let me pull out my paper. Here's my next question. Um so that was really fun. And I just I just got super into it. While I was there, I went through a school called the Institution Theater and I I loved the people that ran it. They actually came out of Chicago and had worked with Second City and Improv Olympics and um Annoyance Theater. So they were incredible people and I was like I'm going to take sketch classes and I decided to do some stand up as well. And I really enjoy stand up a lot. Um I think I have more of like a dark and crude sense of humor than I think most people realize. And I, the reason I have not done a lot of stand-up or really any stand-up since I moved home is because I am a little worried that it might not be 100% in line with the values <laughs> of XPN. And I'm trying to be like a good girl. So um, really, I just need to write different, better material and then get back out there and do that again. But improv... And the pandemic has really destroyed the scene in Austin. But when I was there, there were four or five different schools. Everybody got along with each other. We were very structured. Like we are dues for being in part of the team. We're due on the first of the month. We had a weekly rehearsal at a set time with our coach and we knew it. When I moved home, I was invited to join a team and I loved everybody on my team. Very funny people. Um, but without fail the day of rehearsal this text group would start to be like are we meeting today where are we meeting what time and i i need more structure in my life and our shows like sometimes they would be at like 10 p.m and when you get up at 4 a.m i just i need 
I need to be done earlier. I need, I just need to know what's going on. And I find that because we're only an hour and a half away from New York, that anybody who wants to really pursue comedy professionally has probably, yeah. So it just the scene is just very different in a lot of ways. So I don't know. Improv was very good exercise and I would probably do it for fun, but I don't know if I'm ever interested in performing improv again. It feels like it's, it feels like a good way to come up with ideas for a sketch. Like, right? Because improv is so... It's there and then it's gone. It's not meant to be permanent. And there's something about that to me that after a while, I was like, these were skills that I was developing that I need to apply to other things. Um, so if I do it again in the future, it'll probably be as a way to generate ideas for some video that could actually permanently live online. But yeah, I've been very much focused on the music and on the radio and, and uh, you know... Now it's been four years, but getting married and just doing all kinds of stuff in my personal life here. But I would love to get back into comedy someday. Um, do you find yourself, this is something I always like to talk to improv people about. Do you find yourself more drawn to character-based stuff or situation-based stuff? Ha! Um, great question. Probably situation-based stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was always a character guy. I, I don't know if that comes across as uh, uh, if you can see around how just uh, character based uh, my entire life is. Um, but yeah, I, I was always more drawn to um, weird characters and just put weird characters in straight situations and and, and watch chaos, um, which is kind of how I lived my life. So <laughs> great. I love that. Um, so, um, look, looking into the kind of, uh, of what we're doing right now, you guys are doing the nineties A to Z, uh, on XPN and, and you are clearly a nineties fan. Um, how exciting has it been to kind of put this, you guys did the dance party and all, how exciting has this all been for you? It's been so exciting. You know, we did our general A to Z and then we had our 70s A to Z and our 80s A to Z. And it's been a conversation I've been having internally with folks for a while is that we really need to beef up like the I think the year 2000 messed a lot of people up. It was very easy in the 90s to be like, oh, the 80s were last like a decade ago. But now, even though it's 2022, I think people still really feel like the 90s were just 10 years ago and they were not. Um, so there's a bit of being like time is passing and, you know, like there are different audiences growing into different areas of their life. And we really should be trying to get Gen X more engaged with what's happening at the station and we should be starting to tickle their nostalgia. So um, it's really exciting that we're finally at this point and that we actually pulled our library and put our heads together to combine our knowledge and be like, this is the culturally important stuff and the fun stuff. Um, frankly, doing the 90s dance party, like when I was growing up, I was very much like alternative and rock based and I hated dance music. Like I remember scanning the dials and getting mad at Q102 every Saturday night because I was like, I don't want to hear this. But now I don't know what happened. Like a, a, a switch flipped. And I was just like, oh, London beat. This sounds great. Been thinking about you. You know, Black Box, everybody, everybody. So many of these, like Sandstorm. I was like, oh, wow. Like it was so much fun to just put together the the dance list for the party that John Batiste and I hosted at World Cafe Live on um, the 22nd of November, a couple days before Thanksgiving. I didn't think I would ever see anybody excited to do the Macarena again, but the whole room was doing it. Everybody was jumping around with House of Pain. Um, and it just feels really 
it was great. I loved hearing Green Day and and uh, the refreshments with Banditos. And um, I've heard Elliot Smith a couple times today. We don't get enough Elliot Smith ever anywhere. So it feels really nice to, not that I don't have emotional attachments to things. Like, I don't know if we're going to do the the jauntlet. So I feel like I'm answering some of these questions early. But um, yeah, like my favorite album of all time is Abbey Road. And I've got like strong emotional connections to that album, but it's different when you're making a connection to something that's new, mm-hmm. you know, like as it's happening. So it's, it's really exciting to hear things that I was, that I was around for <laughs> that were fresh at a time that I got to experience along with everyone else for the first time. There's a bit more of, um, a community feeling that I've got going on right now. My, my heart is a glow. Definitely, definitely. You know, you, you talk about like um, kind of this kind of came up uh, and I don't even remember who I was talking to about it, but it, it kind of clicked finally in my head, like listening to things that you didn't listen to back then. And I, I honestly believe that part of what this was, was that now that we have like streaming and the availability to kind of um, listen to whatever we want. I think genre is kind of disappearing because of the fact that like genre was kind of a coded like I am okay buying this album because it's with I know it's within a parameter that I'm going to enjoy because it's something I enjoy because you were spending specific money uh, on specific things that that had to mean a lot to you because it might be another month before you can get another one or another week or so. Whereas now you're like, I can check this song out and if I like it, I'll listen to it. And if not, I won't. And, you know, maybe I'll put it on a playlist and find it again in five years or something like that but like but our our ability to kind of break genre it to me feels like uh, uh just because of the availability of music like it, it but it but but like you said like you know some of these songs that are playing are things that like i would have thrown my radio out the the window and now i'm like i'm like why aren't you playing it more of this like exactly that's such an interesting thought i i had not thought of that facet before i do feel like this is a multifaceted issue um as far as people taking in different kinds of genre and i do agree with you that genre is disappearing um and i'm wondering i actually was just talking about this with somebody else the other day too and i'm wondering if it has something to do with the availability of influences growing exponentially as time goes on. So, right, if you were writing music in the 60s and 70s, you didn't have that much recorded music to pull from and to influence what you were doing. Like, you were you were creating rock and roll for the first time. And here we are now, and, like, it almost feels like, what is there to invent? And I don't believe that we're done inventing things. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just like, oh, wow, like, you've got so many different avenues to go down and pull from and be influenced by. And that's actually my favorite kind of music when you're like, I don't know how to describe this. Yes. <laughs> I just yeah. know that it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's why I feel like genre got stale is that like, how many times can you limit yourself in in your creativity to to kind of mimic something so like i i always use punk rock as an example right because punk rock early on when you listen to like early punk records they all sound different like no they don't they don't all sound the same but at some point everybody decided that you know this certain guitar tone is punk rock you know drums must sound like this and it was you know shortly after hardcore or whatnot in the 80s but like it all started to streamline to kind of fit a a a thing and it was 
was a genre that was made to not be fit into any kind of box, you know? And I think that just, that's what happens to genres is that like it gets stale because you're, you're not, you're not, you're not, um, being inspired to create something in this you're trying to match something and that's that's why i'm like really excited about music right now i agree 100 percent. you nailed it it's awesome it's awesome the uh the other funny thing you're saying you know about um people not being able to uh, recognize that the 90s were so long ago i always use this as an example and it was because uh, i i dj on the side um and for a while people were asking me to dj 80s nights and they were like 80s nights just don't pack them in like they used to and like at the time i said well let's use the back to the future analogy during the 80s didn't the 50s seem like another life ago I was like, well, that same span of time is how long ago the 80s was. And I think people need to do that with the 90s. Like, this is beyond going back to the, you know, like, it, it's so far away. And, like, there are people who weren't even born, you know, that, like, are are, are now discovering this music. And, and it's it's beautiful to me because, like, I listen to, like, I li- I, like my, my main drive is, like, if you put a janky guitar on on a a song uh that's that's i'm i'm sold so like uh illuminati hotties and and the bets you know like that's and i'm like this is everything i loved in the 90s and it's coming back oh my god i've just been i should have just waited in a cave and you guys would have found me you know (laughs) well i i agree it does feel like the 90s are coming back and there are like 20 year cycles right like i hear bands like mama and i'm like oh i hear I hear Veruca Salt and like 90s Pixies and this, like I am hearing that sludgy rock going on and I'm living for it. Thank you, Soccer Mommy, like all those. Um, But I also love that you love that people are discovering music no matter how old they are and when it was released. There seems to be this thing, I think it's a humanity thing, where people feel like they need to boost themselves up. And if they find out that something they're aware of, music or otherwise, is something that someone they're talking to doesn't know about, it's like, oh, how have you never seen that movie? And it just has a terrible psychological effect on the person that they're talking to because you're like, well, now I never want to admit that I'm not familiar with anything. Like, we shouldn't shame people because they were born after something was released and they hadn't, found their way to it yet you know like i am all about people finding stuff when they find it and not feeling any shame and not having known about it before so yay yay for that yeah and and look i know I, i'm guilty i do it every once in a while but like i ha- i have been i've been so much better with it um and that's one of the keys to what i've been trying to do here with this whole project is just a uh, positivity and things and like i just like hearing things that people like and talking to people about things they like but the the turnaround point for me was 2015 with the release of the force awakens because right before like there was all this people like getting upset like oh where were you you people used to kick my ass when i used to like star wars and now everybody likes it this is this is crap you know um but i i i'm like i'm like hey man i'll bring you all on board because the more you guys like it that means the more they'll make and i'm like everybody come in and that's how i that's really how i feel about music now is like yes please like it because that means that i'm going to be able to hear it more you know like so yeah. I, I i don't understand gatekeeping i i kind of do like i think it's it's just kind of self-preservation it's just like oh my god what i have is special and if you like it then it's not special anymore but um you know but is but like you said you know you just got to break out of that human nature of trying to be 
trying to insulate. Exactly. And careful now, this could very easily turn into a conversation about Star Wars instead of music, because I share that love with you. <laughs> any day, any day you want. I, uh, I I make this joke all the time, but literally at any point in the time in, in the day, if you ask, um, is there anything Star Wars by you within like three feet of me? There's always something Star Wars like I, you can't see it. It's off camera, but there's like Star Wars boxes over here. My old figures are over here. If I showed you my lock screen, it's Luke Scott. Skywalker on Hoth, like it's it's we're out of control. Uh, my my new background is um, uh, uh, for my computer is the shot from Nakina Five when they're all. Jo- Did you watch Andor? I, no, oh no, yeah, it's okay, so good. Wow. <laughs> um, but it's it's the shot overhead of all of them jumping out into the into the water. Um, it's like yeah, I'm obsessed. <laughs> same same. We are trying to, and it got hard. I realized. It is turning into a Star Wars conversation, isn't it? I realized just yesterday that we've had three different Star Wars things happening in 2022 because we had the end of Book of Boba Fett at the beginning of 2022. And then in May, we got Kenobi. And now we just finished Andor. And like right before Kenobi started, my husband and I decided that we were going to watch all of the Star Wars in chronological order because we had never watched Clone Wars. And he and I have both been like Star Wars fans since we were like single digit age kids. And I, I don't know how we didn't ever watch Clone Wars. Um, I guess cause it was animated. I don't know, but now it's almost like we infuse animated characters that we've never actually seen in the flesh with like, do you know what I mean? It, it is Absolutely. Totally, it's so good, but we had to pause Clone Wars because of, of Kenobi and, uh, and Andor. So we got to get back into it. But anyway, Star Wars. Yay. Yeah, well, as soon as you finish Clone Wars, continue right on to Star Wars Rebels, because that is uh, some more of my favorite Star Wars content that's ever been created. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I gotta say, and you probably know this character more than I do, but like, I never disliked Obi-Wan, but it wasn't until we met his love interest in the Clone Wars that I was like, oh, now I love Obi-Wan. Like, he chose to be a Jedi over being a civilian and and being with this person that he loves. And I was like, oh, and then now my heart just, like, bleeds for him all the time. So I will watch Rebels. I will will have to have another conversation after that. (laughs) We'll bring you back on and we'll we'll break it down. I'm I'm all on board for that. Well, at this time, would you like to take this jauntlet questionnaire that I ask every guest? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so it starts off with the one-hit wonders. These are just, you know, you can pick your you one or the other. Uh, first one, Billy Joel or Elton John? Elton John. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did notice, uh, did you say there was a um, uh, Elton John in the your mother's uh, five CDs? Is that what, yeah. Uh, yes, like, yeah. Okay. We, I mean, I grew up on both of them, and I actually really love Billy, too. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't i mean i guess i kind of understand it but i don't understand why people dislike him so much he's brilliant he's written some of the greatest songs in american pop music history i love the broadway influence on his tunes i think they're great but elton is just magical like i managed to see him four times including on my 30th birthday and um yeah i just i have to give it to elton but it's a close call honestly yeah, I just watched that clip of um, him and uh, Brandy Carlisle doing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, and I got absolute chills. Absolute chills. Yes. Uh, next one, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? This is hard because Joan Jett's a hometown girl, but I got to go with Debbie Harry. 
Understandable. I, I kind of, I, I always like to, in my head, guess what people uh, are going to answer for this. And I kind of, I could kind of sense that. <laughs> I think Debbie had a direct influence on the artists who had a direct influence on me. So I can kind of trace the things that I love back to her. Yeah. And that's exactly how I got there with that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, next one, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Got to go with Aretha. I yeah. mean, that's a good pairing as well. But the Queen of Soul, you got to go with that. Absolutely. Now that we're in the uh, 90s A to Z, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Pearl Jam. Yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pearl Jam myself. Uh, that, yeah. uh, I'm, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the more and more distance I get, um, the more and more I love that band. Like they just uh, they're really phenomenal. <laughs> when I was a kid, I actually didn't love them all that much. And I don't know why. Um, but as I got older, I just found myself bored with Nirvana. Not that they're obviously they were revolutionary and culturally important. And I definitely went through a phase where I loved that band. Um, But Pearl Jam sounds more timeless to me. And I'll even I'll even admit something a little sacrilegious. I kind of love Foo Fighters more than Nirvana, too. I don't know who you're talking to. You and me are two peas in a pod because I, I say that all I say it all the time. I will take the Foo Fighters over Nirvana any day, though um, uh, fans of this podcast know I am still violently angry that they inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's too soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. That's fair. <laughs> it's too soon. He's already in. It's not fair. There's so many people who aren't in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the next one, uh, uh, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks. Yeah. And this Christine McVie thing is just absolutely heartbreaking, man. I can't believe I like nobody knew she was sick. Well, like, um, it's, uh, yeah. And like, and I was just saying like, you know, uh, now that everywhere is in that EV commercial, like I thought she was going to get like kind of a, you know, uh, that kind of hipster, like indie resurgence of like, you know what, we should revisit Christine McVie, you know, but oh man, what a bummer. I know. I hope she feels or felt like she got her flowers because she, um, everybody is like, oh, Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks. And Christine wrote so many of their big hits and she was in the band like five years before Stevie was. And there's just, I don't know, when I think of that phrase, like behind every like good man, there's a great woman like Christine McVie embodies that to me. Like she was just this silent, strong backbone with that band, obviously alongside Nick and and Peter Green. Um, But her voice was so soft and warm and, and comforting and just drew you in and, Man, what a what a group of people. But yeah, rest in peace, rest in power, Christine. One hundred percent. Beatles or the Stones? Beatles. Yeah, I kind of thought that was coming. Uh, <laughs> the second you told me your dad's favorite album was the White Album, I kind of saw that. And then also you kind of spoiled the uh, the the favorite album. But there we are. <laughs> <laughs> I gave the caveat. I knew I was doing it. Um, yeah, the Beatles to me are an album kind of band and the Stones to me are more of a singles kind of band. And I've had people fight me on that. And I probably do need to go back and and try again with the Stones. But I remember after getting hella into the Beatles, like I've got their full discography being like, oh, I should probably listen to Sticky Fingers and, and Exile on Main Street. And it just didn't 
draw me in the way that the Beatles did, but um, maybe it's time to go back and, and try again. It's fair. You know, I will say it took me to my 30s to uh, really appreciate the Stones, so it might be an age thing, too. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's very okay. weird. Um, so before I get to the last one that I always ask, I'm going to throw one in that I personally drew up today specifically for one Kristen Curtis, and that is, oh. and this is this is a Sophie's Choice, because I don't even know, I don't even know in, in my head what I would pick. I kind of have an idea but Gwen Stefani or Tori Amos? If you had asked me like five years ago, I would have said Gwen, but at this point in time, a thousand percent Tori Amos. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've been happy with the decisions that Gwen has made since about the time I moved home in like 2015. Um, They've been really upsetting, but yeah, Tori is my forever hero. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I'll, I, I can see that. Um, uh, so the last one of the one-hit wonders, Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I feel like that's a gimme. Uh, you know, I've had some people say Stairway, and, and that's fine. They they can be wrong, but that's a weird... <laughs> <laughs> I love Stairway. It's fun to sing, and a bonus of being born in 1985 is I didn't have to hear it get worn out on the radio, so I'm not tired of it, and I still like hearing it. But Bohemian Rhapsody is just so much more fun. Yes. One end, you know, a little theatrical. Uh, it, it all comes back to the theatrics. Um, so the top 10 countdown, uh, we use John in this, as I'm sure you know, to be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be music, can be anything. So number one, what was your first John when you were young? What was the first thing you were obsessed with? The Power Rangers? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, probably. Um, that's the earliest thing. That or... Or Goosebumps books, probably. Okay, excellent, excellent. I love it. That's a great answer. Uh, number two, what's your current, John? What are you obsessed with right now? Oh, gosh. Um, singing, now that I'm doing it again. Yeah, probably singing. Oh, also, I don't know why it took me so long, but my husband and I just started watching the reboot of Queer Eye. Um, I had loved Queer Eye for the Stray Guy, but I had never seen the newer one. We just started watching it and I'm we're obsessed. I don't think we're going to watch anything else till we get through it. So yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> awesome. Two great choices. Two great choices. Number three, I think you said this, but uh, maybe not. What was your first concert? If we don't want to count the Sonic session, because that was like a really unique thing. My first concert concert was actually the Y100 Festival in 2000, um, which the top three bands were No Doubt, Third Eye Blind, and I'm so glad I got to see Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I saw, um, we saw Stone Temple Pilots and it was right, it was, we bought our tickets right after um, Sex Type Thing came out, but right before Plush came out. And they were, uh, this was like 93, they were opening for the Butthole Surfers. And in the time from when we bought the tickets to when the show was, they became the biggest thing in, in the world. So they come out, they play their set, and everybody starts to leave. And Gibby Haynes is on stage coming out with the butthole servers and he's like where is everybody going <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing i have ever experienced in a concert ever wow that's nuts yeah uh, and i don't know if they ended up ever switching uh spots because you know that happens sometimes on tours when when a band blows up but yeah it was absolutely the most bizarre thing i have ever seen <laughs> wow oh my goodness now i'm trying to remember i'm like did i I may have seen Fuel a couple more times. I was really obsessed with them when I was 13. So I may have seen them at like the Electric Factory a couple times in like 
did I see them on the sunburn tour? I must have. Um, it's fuzzy. I can't believe I never thought I would forget that. But yeah, I mean, certainly the Sonic session was the very first time I ever saw a band perform live. So I guess I should go with that. And then after Fuel, yeah, at the festival. But um, Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, number four, what was the last concert you went to? Trigger warning. It was Bartee Strange. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's fine. I love Barty Strange. Like, it's just, you know, you said another one also, uh, Soccer Mommy also shot me down. So, yeah, I did. I, but I didn't, I didn't give you the. <laughs> Look, as long as people reply when they say no, I feel perfectly fine. Like, I, I, as a matter of fact, I feel really warm when they take the time out to just say no. Like, it's just like, oh, it's like, thank you so much uh, for, you know, not leaving me hanging. And so, like, even though I joke about it, like, no, I totally, totally am okay with people rejecting me. <laughs> we just gotta, we just gotta make, um, yo, that's my John blow up and then people are going to be clamoring, right? That's it. That's it. I, uh, I I got something big on the horizon, and all these people are gonna really um, poop their pants when they realize they missed this choice or this chance. Exactly. <laughs> uh, number five. What was your favorite concert you ever went to? In two thousand two, I saw the No Doubt and Garbage tour, and the Distillers, opened, and it was just like a one, two, three of strong women and uh yeah seeing shirley manson uh, like and then gwen stefani i was like what is my life um it truly that's still probably like the best one two lineup i've ever seen was garbage and no doubt that sounds like an incredible show (laughs) (laughs) i danced so hard and i didn't realize it until the show was over that my friend had to help me walk out of the venue my legs were like rubber afterward that's how i know it was the best concert i ever saw (laughs) Uh, that's awesome uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or uh, or dead. Actually, it's both the artists for your final one hit wonders question. Uh, I would have loved to have seen Queen and Led Zeppelin. They're yeah. like, yeah, Led Zeppelin is actually my favorite classic rock band. Um and Freddie Mercury just had the best voice of all time. And they both, I, obviously, I'm very into vocals. When I listen to music, it's about the melodies and the vocals for me. And um, the two of them, Robert Plant and, and Freddie Mercury, I'm like, damn. Like, I could I could probably go see Robert now, but it just, it wouldn't be the same. And he's not with the rest of the guys. So, yeah, both of them, if I can say two. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, have you ever seen Get the Let Out? No. Um, so they're incredibly phenomenal to the point, and I don't know if this is rumor or not or or what, but um, at one point, Jimmy Page almost uh, tapped them to go on tour um, to do uh, Led Zeppelin songs. So um, wow. if you ever get a chance, check them out. They're absolutely phenomenal. Okay, I will. And I'll pretend that I am 50 years back in time. <laughs> That's exactly. Just close your eyes. Uh, the, the lead singer, Paul Sinclair, is um, uh, spot on vocally, um, or at least he used to be. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, but uh, but one time I got to play um, Hey, Hey, What Can I Do while he sang. So that's oh. one of my little claims to fame. <laughs> I love that for you. Yeah, it was great. Uh, number six. Oh, that was six. Number seven. Uh, name an unappreciated John. Something you wish had a little more shine to it. Mm, I'm going to go back in time. This is not necessarily someone who's still active, but in 2010, an artist from Tom's River, New Jersey, named April Smith and the Great Picture Show, released an album called Songs for a Sinking Ship, and that should have been 
massive. Um, April's husband worked for an advertising agency, and I did hear some of those songs get placed in commercials. And I think it was like, So You Think You Can Dance or Dancing with the Stars. Like one of those dancing reality competition shows used a song of hers called Terrible Things once, and I was so delighted for her. Um, at this point, she's moved on from that phase of her life, but I... I was like, ang- probably angrier than she was. <laughs> I was like, why is no one listening to this album and this band? She was, she could belt and like the most catchy little tunes. I felt like she was dancing on a bar in the twenties. Like that's, that's what I feel like I was listening to when I, when I was listening to April. It's like Broadway folk pop. It's the best. That's incredible. Now I'm like really interested and I'm going to definitely 100% check that out after we get done here. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. I love it. See, these are the, this is the, the important part of that question is like I said before, music discovery is my John. That's my, Uh, Oh, I'm excited. You're going to have to report back after you listen to it and tell me what you think. I will. Absolutely. Number eight, uh, you spoiled it, but what's your favorite album? (laughs) Um, well, Obviously, as I've already said, Abbey Road, it's just such an experience from, especially when you get towards the end and all those songs blend in with each other, but You Never Give Me Your Money and The Sun King and just all of it, Golden Slumbers. But that record is just chock full of some of the most well-written songs of all time. Um, And it really, it just takes me to a different place. It's, it's such a, a a journey every time I listen to it, always enjoyable. But um, obviously my other favorite album of all time is tragic kingdom from no doubt. (laughs) Look, I I heard, I heard you um, mention this on uh, hall of songs, uh, which I started listening to this morning um, because Tim, good friend, uh, XP Zenio caucus member. Um, uh, uh, We are going to make this fourth wave ska thing stick. It's going to happen. I'm on board. Cat wave is at the front. uh, Cat wave. Cat bite is at the front of this wave. 100%. 100%. I actually just, thanks for reminding me, I owe them, I told them, I do a uh, uke- ukulele cover of Bad Influence that I have to record and send to them. That's my favorite song on the album. It's so good. It really is. Uh, we went to see them at the church and like, man, I just, I've. Uh, it's so great to be able to see like someone that you love, like get the props that they deserve and and just watching kind of that band explode has just been really awesome this past year yes especially recently when they've been teaming up with other bands like gaslight anthem bringing brit out to sing i was like oh it's happening like we knew it was going to but going back to what we said earlier like hearing something and being like this is amazing and you know you're right and it's just i'm just gonna sit back and wait now obviously keep supporting them but think things are happening for Catbite. yes yeah and you played a very important part in that so give yourself some flowers on that oh thank you i will <laughs> uh number nine name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release even if you have to be apologetic for it there are so many. Like once I love somebody, I will listen to anything. Of course, the older I get, the less frequently I find those artists. But there are two artists that I haven't already mentioned in our conversation today that are coming to mind. One is, and I'm not apologetic about either of these, um, Fiona Apple. Oh, yeah. Anything. And um, Janelle Monet. I am like constantly hungry for more new music from the two of them and uh the two of them seem very keen on taking their time which is probably why i love their output so much because they've taken the time to make sure that it's excellent before they let the rest of the world hear it 
Definitely, definitely. 100%. Those are two perfect, perfect picks. Uh, the 10th and final of the top 10 countdown and of the jauntlet. What is your favorite John of all time? My husband. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, he's the greatest. We, um, he transferred into my elementary school when we were in second grade and we were always like, cool with each other you know i went to i went to a very small catholic school and i guess there are smaller there were like 65 kids per class so and there would be like yeah like a and b so you were with a set group of like 30 kids and then that would mix up as you went through the grades um and then i went to st joe's in downingtown and then we all ended up going to shanahan and there were only like 300 kids in our graduating class so i was definitely a loner, like Sean, my husband will tell me, like when we first started dating, it was not until I moved back home to Philly. And I was very anxious to reconnect with the people that he had stayed friends with because I had all these stories I had told myself about the opinions they had of me. Um, but Sean's like, nobody, nobody thought you were a loser. Like people, people were like, oh, Kristen's cool. She's doing her own thing. She doesn't need anybody. And I was like, really? That's what people thought of me? Like I thought I was like all alone. And (laughs) it's just so funny, the things that you tell yourself. Um, But anyway, Sean was always so nice. Like he wasn't one of those people that I was like worried, didn't like me or anything. Um, And he was an artist too. And unbeknownst to me, we admired each other's art from afar. Like he would um, be part of the art classes and I would be able to, on our way down to the lunch, we would walk past all the, everything on display and I would be able to pick out his art immediately and be like, Oh, look, there's Sean's latest charcoal drawing or whatever. And he would also paint the sets for the musicals. And unbeknownst to me, he was coming and loving watching me perform in, in Godspell or the wizard of Oz or, um, West side story. And what was the other one we did? Oh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. If I didn't tell you I went to Catholic school, you would know now. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so he went to Savannah College of Art and Design. And like you do when social media, when Facebook became a thing, we obviously became friends. And my little sister is six years behind us academically. And she ended up going to SCAD to study animation. And I remember reaching out to Sean and just being like, would you mind talking to my sister about your experience at this school? So we had like reasons to stay in touch, but it wasn't until 2013 when I flew home for our 10 year high school reunion. And I just happened to walk up to the bar next to him. And I usually make him tell this part of the story. Um, He was apparently like really excited to see me. And especially because we had known each other since we were like seven. Um, And apparently after talking for like half an hour, I was like, all right, I'm going to go mingle some more. It was really great. And then he proceeded to become enamored with me. Like his friends actually have told me they've been like, oh my God, that night Sean was like, have you seen Kristen? She's beautiful. Oh (laughs) my God. And he was like, I'm never going to see her again because I like flew back to Austin. Um, But two years later, when Bruce had approached me about mornings on XPN, and I was flying home for my interview, I made a really cryptic post on Facebook. I was like, listen, if you pray, if you've got good juju, good vibes, like whatever you do, like send it my way. I am going somewhere for what might possibly be the last interview I ever have to do in my entire life. And a certain subset of you should be very excited. And he was working at the Michener in Doylestown and they played XPN all the time. So he knew Michaela was retiring. He knew that I had studied this and he figured that Philly was the subset. He just put it all together. And then he was the first person to reach out and congratulate me after I got 
got the job and asked if I wanted to hang out. And I just had a feeling I was like, this is either going to end in marriage or be the worst breakup of my life. So I made him wait <laughs> like months after I moved home before we finally hung out. Um, and the rest is history. We've been we actually just had our fourth wedding anniversary. I you can't see it. And look, I'll 100 percent own up to this. I am a sentimental bitch. And I am I have a little bit of misty tears in my eyes because what you just described is literally every lifetime holiday movie I have ever seen in my life. The person coming home to the person that they loved in elementary school or you know got along with. Another, oh my god, it is the it, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> it's love at the Christmas table. I've seen this. This is beautiful. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's the greatest. It's just so nice to have so much shared history with somebody and somebody who shares your values and your interests and who you can work through things with. So what's, will you share with me your love? Well, I guess you met your girlfriend at the festival. You have shared your love story with me. So it's, it's even, it's even crazier than that. Um, I was DJing and she came up to me, um, as I was DJing and she was like, um, can you play anything that's not crap? And I said, okay, what do you want to hear? And she requested Radiohead. And I went, okay, now we're, we're like new best friends. Um, but, and I've told this story before, it's not a secret. She was kind of engaged at the time. And then, <laughs> just, um, kind of, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but then we started hanging out and talking and then it was kind of like the, just an undeniable spark. And then, um, we kind of, our first kind of jaunt away was to the exponential music festival in 2014. Um, and we did that whole weekend and then like, it's been no looking back ever since. Like it's absolutely, absolute love of my life. Like, uh, I, I didn't know, I know it's so corny and so cliche, but I didn't know love existed like this. Like I just didn't believe in it, um, until I met her. And then it was just like, oh, this is what people were talking about. Like they, they weren't full of shit. Well, no, I'm all for Klimt. I love that. <laughs> I'm very happy for her that she met you when she did so that she didn't end up going down the path that she was on at the time, because I imagine she is a world happier with you now, too. So congratulations. Yeah. Have you started making plans for the wedding? Uh, very loosely. But I will tell you, there is a possibility that uh, 2023, May the 4th, we may be getting married. And that is because we are both enormous Star Wars fans. <laughs> so. And that is my birthday. <laughs> is it really? Yes. How great is that? <laughs> I'm May the 2nd. We're like birthday buddies almost. No wonder we get along. Yes, it's all making sense now. Well, <laughs> if these good folks would like to find uh, more about you other than just uh, listening every morning uh, to WXPN, what's the best way to track you down on the socials? I am still on Twitter as of what is today's date, December 1st uh, <laughs> at 7.45 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can find me at Kristen Curtis. I spell Kristen with an E-N and Curtis with a K. And I am also on Facebook under that name and 
if you find me on Instagram, there's just an underscore between Kristen and Curtis. But those are the three things. And I don't know, should I be signing up for Hive or, or Mastodon, which is a question you probably heard me ask the folks on Hall of Songs, too. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, my answer to this is uh, I have been signing up for all of them and using almost none of them. But I do really actually enjoy Mastodon. And that is just because there is a Philly server on Mastodon uh, or an instance, as they call it, as I'm learning all of this new language. Um, where you can just kind of look at posts from everybody in Philadelphia and it, there is just some kind of common comfort in being able to do that very easily um, to discover, you know, not just people you're following, but just kind of people in your area. It's kind of like it's it like like what what Dum Dum is calling the town square um, is kind of what this feels like. It actually does feel like a town square um, instead of, you know, um, just using that as an excuse to allow racist to be racist. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> You're the first person that has actually made me kind of curious about Mastodon. So thank you for that. Yes, it's uh, it's fun over there, and you can you can come join uh, and watch uh, me pester Bruce uh, constantly because <laughs> he's one of the only other people I know on Mastodon really right now. <laughs> that's good. We need somebody to keep tabs on him there. I'm gonna that, that's your job now. That's my job. The Bruce Keeper. I like it. All right, that's cool. I'm cool with that. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much for doing this today. Is there anything you would like to leave these fine listeners with? Music is life flowing through, is it not? My many thanks again to Kristen for joining me on the show today. You can hear Kristen every morning from 6 to 10 on the XPN Morning Show on your radio dial at 88.5 FM or streaming on XPN.org. Follow her on the socials at Kristen Curtis on Twitter and at Kristen underscore Curtis on Instagram. Links to all of those, of course, will be in the show notes. If you have not already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo, That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And gang, you know you want to. Get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this show. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yothatsmyjohn for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo That's My John and search Yo That's My John on YouTube to find the Yo That's My John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Well, that's all I got for you this week, my friends, but fear not. We are actually going to be back next week with an all-new episode featuring the return of two former guests as we break down our favorite Christmas songs. It is a whole head full of sugar plums dancing bit of fun, so I hope you join us for the holiday festivities next week. Blue skies! Until next time, everybody! Hey yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be... Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. 
If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo, that's my John at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs> <laughs>